This is Nutshell Politics, a show where we discuss what you need to know about current events, international relations, political conflict, and my favorite topic of discussion, terrorism. The mainstream media isn't always the best at reporting on international events. They often lack depth, context, and understanding, a problem unfortunately driven by ratings. But here, on Nutshell Politics, I seek to fill those gaps, and most importantly, to make sure you know what's actually going on out there. So let's dive in. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Nutshell Politics this week. My name is Dr. Justin Kinney, and I am excited to be here with you guys for a brand new episode and a brand new topic. So today we're going to be doing a spotlight episode. I've done a couple of these in the past on different people groups. We did one on the Kurds, one on the Rohingya, and this week we're going to do one on a a really unusual, really unique group, a one that a lot of people may have not even heard much about, and that's because we're going to be doing one on one of the uncontacted tribes that exist in the world, the Sentinelese. Now, sometimes you'll hear them called the Sentinelli or the North Sentinel Islanders, but the Sentinelese are one of the uh, indigenous people groups in the, uh, off the coast of India. They're in one of the, the Bay of Bengal. Uh, they're on an island there, and they're considered one of the world's last, quote-unquote, uncontacted people groups. Now, we're going to be doing this spotlight episode this week, talking about the Sentinelese, and then next week, this will kind of lead into a topic on uncontacted tribes and kind of how that works and some of the the politics that surrounds how we deal with some of these tribes that are very uh, remote or secluded or uncontacted by the the rest of the modern world. So the Sentinelese, as I said, are they're an indigenous people group. Uh, they inhabit one particular island called the North Sentinel Island. It's in the Bay of Bengal in India, which is kind of on the eastern side of India in that body of water. And they are considered a vulnerable tribal group. Uh, They are part of a larger people group in the area of several of the other islands called the Andamanese, or the Great Andamanese. Uh, There's also the Jarawas, the Onge, the Shompen, and the Nicobaris. Uh, So these are all kind of in that same broader ethnic category. And so the Sentinelese are one of the more reclusive people groups of these islands where you see several tribes. Now, the reason I'm ta- focusing on the Sentinelese as opposed to some of these others like the Jarawas or the, the Unge, uh, the Sentinelese have very consistently refused any sort of interaction with the, the modern world. And in fact, they were in the news not that long ago, about a year or so, ago, I believe, when a Christian missionary tried to contact them and he was killed. And this was a man by the name of John Allen Chow. He was a a U.S.-based Christian missionary from an organization called All Nations. Uh, He was 26 years old, so quite young, as I said, American. And he had uh, kind of high hopes of converting this tribe to Christianity and, and kind of preaching to them, essentially evangelizing. And he ended up canoeing onto shore and essentially ended up over the course of a couple days actually interacting with them. He is thought to be the only individual to have spent any uh, real time with them. There are a couple cases where I'll talk about where there have been very short quasi-friendly interactions, but at least on one visit, Chow records in a diary that was recovered from him uh, that the Islanders kind of reacted to him with kind of a mixture of amusement and, and hostility, kind of a going back and forth. And he actually ended up spending a full day with them. Now, ultimately, this has a, a sad story because Chow was 
ultimately killed and fishermen who were not too far away uh, confirmed that they saw the islanders dragging his body around on the shore and so he was ultimately killed by this tribe uh, and so they've been in the news and then just just recently a paper was released kind of discussing this missionary and talking about what we should do with sentinelese and how he believes we should just leave them alone and essentially protect them from the outside world. So that's why it's been in the news recently. But I want to talk a little bit more about the Sentinelese itself, uh, the people group. So as I said, the Sentinelese are this kind of very remote, they're actually considered one of the most remote of all the uncontacted people groups in the world, of which there are probably in the neighborhood of 100 or so. Uh, these are probably the most, or if not the most, and one of the most secluded in the entire world. Now, because they are so secluded, knowledge of them is pretty scanty. Um, it comes mostly from very infrequent and when they do happen, conflict-driven encounters with with them as well as with some of the neighboring people groups that have been a little bit more friendly. And then there are some uh, cases where we've gotten like drone footage or aerial footage in other ways from the Sentinelese. Now they live on this one specific island. It's a fairly small island. Uh, it's probably about 20 to 25 square miles in total. And it's essentially made up of a shore, like a, like a beach, and then it's bordered by a type of forest, which then becomes very, very dense and tropical very quickly. And so it's a very small kind of forested island, and it's thought that there are very few people in this people group even left, maybe as low as 50, maybe as high as 150. Uh, I was actually worried a couple years ago when there was a, a huge typhoon that kind of came through and um, the, the tsunami, if you guys remember the tsunami that kind of wiped out parts of Southeast Asia, there was some worry that they had uh, not survived. But, it, you know, not that long afterwards, I, th I think a plane caught some footage of a few of them who came out with spears to, to try to threaten the plane and, and throw spears at the plane. Uh, so they did, they did survive it, but we think there's probably between like, about 50 to 150 or so people on this one island. Now, the Sentinelese are very, very dark-skinned, uh, and they are thought to be short as well, kind of a very short people group. Estimates ranging kind of in the 5 feet to 5'5 five five range. And their society is mostly built around the idea of hunter, hunting and gathering. Uh, if you've heard of the hunter-gatherer societies that kind of stood in contrast to like an agriculture society or whatever, you know, so they, they use like bows and arrows to hunt wildlife, uh, catch seafood and fish and those types of things, crabs, uh, mollusks. And essentially their, their culture has not really moved past what we would think of as like the Stone Age. Uh, we don't see them have any real evidence of engaging in agriculture at any point in time. Uh, we're not sure of what their knowledge is of things like fire and cooking. Uh, we do see some investigations that show they, they do use fire to an extent, but we're not really sure what knowledge they have of that. The biggest problem here, though, is even though they are related to some of these other people groups like the Jarawas and the Unge, they have been so secluded even from them that the language is so different. Uh, virtually nothing is known about the Sentinelese language, so it's actually considered unclassified. And even the Jarawa language, which, as I said, ethnically, they're essentially the same and they're on a very close neighboring island. The two apparently can't even speak to one another. There's, it's called mutually unintelligible. Basically, the two languages don't communicate with one another. And so the, the language barrier here is, is intense because there's not even really any overlap with other even very similar people groups in the area. 
Now, the Sentinelese, as I said, have kind of been seen as not, never having moved past the Stone Age. They're kind of a Stone Age tribe, but it's thought that they have lived on these islands in essentially near isolation for thousands to tens of thousands of years, some estimates as much as 60,000 years, you know, give or take. But obviously, these types of things, in, along with their, like, their population and all these other things, are more or less quasi-educated guesses because we just don't know a whole lot about this people group just from the sense that we haven't actually had much contact with them. The Arkans are one of the world's last uncontacted people groups in the world. As I said, there are not very many of them left. And we've actually kind of reached a point in, in culture, or in society, I should say, where we've essentially decided to kind of let them be and not try to contact them. Uh, in fact, they are under formal protection from India, where we essentially keep them separate and protected from the rest of the world. And as I said, this this young man, this missionary who tried to contact them, you know, he actually went there without having any of the the legal documentation or permits, which are all required if you want to try to contact them. Now there are a few things we have been able to kind of pick up on in terms of like their culture practices and these sorts of things. As I said, they they are hunter gatherers, so a lot of hunting, fishing, and those types of things. They utilize uh, canoes as a way to kind of navigate in the water. And there are some similarities in kind of the designs of their canoes that tie them to other, some of the other people groups. Even though their language barrier is, is off, it's, it's thought they are you know, still quite related in terms of some of their past and history because we do see a lot of similarities in their you know, food preparation, their canoe designs, uh, their sleeping patterns. They all sleep on the ground uh, like the Jarawas do as well. They use these types of things that are essentially like um, small huts that are essentially their homes kind of erected on four poles and they use roofs that are built out of leaves or, or leaf covered roofs I, I guess i should say they're kind of slanted other things we have been able to kind of pick up on here uh, in terms of like their dress they wear you know kind of bark strings where they can tuck daggers into their belts particularly the men do this they do wear some type of decorations and ornaments on their bodies jewelry necklaces headbands but otherwise, they essentially live more or less naked. Uh, they don't use a whole lot in the way of clothing. It has been reported that we sometimes have seen them wear jawbones of like human jawbones around their neck. It's thought these are maybe the jawbones of deceased relatives. And they de apparently decorate a lot of their, their weaponry and other types of tools with you know, ge various geometric designs and these types of things. Uh, beyond that, though, there's very, very little that we know about these people. And we're going to take a quick commercial break. And then on the other side, we're going to talk about the times where we actually have had contact with this people group, the Sentinelese, and kind of what the outcomes of those have been. And maybe a little bit going forward about you know, kind of how I talked about India is essentially consider them a, a protected people group. We're going to talk a little bit about that formal status and what that really means. Uh, but stick with me through a short commercial break, and I'll be back with you guys on the other side shortly. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll be back in a minute. All right, welcome back. Thanks so much for staying with me through that commercial break. We're going to jump right back into talking about the Sentinelese people. Now, before the break, I kind of talked about who they are, where they are, their culture, etc., but I want to focus a little bit now on the few times there has been contact with the outside world and kind of what the outcome of that will be. And then we'll finish talking a little bit about the formal legal status of this people group and kind of where we go from here with them. So there have been a couple cases, documented cases, of interactions with 
the the Sentinelese uh, going back all the way to the 1700s. And now this, this is the first time in 1771 that we hear the people group even being mentioned. And it was an East India company. They had a, a vessel called the Diligent that saw what they call a multitude of lights on the shore. And this is the first time you see this island ever mentioned in this people group. But the island, or sorry, the vessel chooses not to investigate. And so we go about almost 100 years without any other type of contact. So just seeing that, uh, seeing those lights is the first time we have any sort of contact with this people group. Now, in 1867, there was an Indian vessel, a merchant ship called the Nineveh, which essentially crashed in uh, kind, of, kind of just off the shore of the North Sentinel Island. And so the people and the crew on the ship you know, all get to the, the island safely. But within their time there a day or so passes and all of a sudden they get attacked by a group of islanders now ultimately they do end up killing some of these crew members but mostly the survivors manage to kind of repel the attackers using sticks and stones and this is the only interaction that we see as the islanders kind of flee and run off and they never see them again and the royal navy of india actually ends up sending a rescue party to the island and getting the survivors off the island now that leads us into more intentional contact with the island so one of the first recorded visits to the island was a man by the name of jeremiah humphrey also 1867 and he he records in kind of his notes seeing islanders catching fish with kind of bows and arrows and these types of things. And so this actually leads to, over the next couple of decades, several attempts to try to co- establish contact with the Sentinelese. You have a British naval officer who tries to do this. He leads a group of, of Europeans uh, onto the island. But as soon as they arrive, the islanders flee. And they, they kind of try to search the island, but they can't find them. They find some abandoned villages, some pathways, and ultimately they do end up capturing six Sentinelese people. Uh, this is a man by the name of Maurice Portman. So Portman's men capture six people, uh, which includes basically four children and two elderly people, like an elderly couple, a man and a woman. This goes very, very badly. The elderly man and the woman die almost immediately upon being uh, brought back. And the children start to get really sick. And so this British officer, uh, Portman, immediately realizes his mistake, sends the children back, sends them back with a lot of gifts to try to apologize, establish some sort of friendly contact, and that's how it goes. Now, Portman does go back to the island a couple other times. We don't have a whole lot of details about what, what happened with that. But then we see a couple cases about a decade or so later. In 1896, there was a, a convict who escaped from a an island where there was a, a, essentially a penal colony. And so he escaped from this island on a raft, kind of drifted across to North Sentinel Island, and he is killed by the islanders. He's discovered by a search party not, you know, not that long later, about a, a week or so, a few days later, and he has basically been uh, speared, shot with arrows, and has his throat slit. Uh, and they find his body. They don't see any islanders, but he was obviously killed by them. There are also a couple other cases of fugitives landing on the island and being killed. Uh, there was a, a, at least one other case of this that is uh, documented in 1899. But during this time period, you have the British who are kind of ruling India. They're, they're really interested in this people group. And so in the early 1900s, uh, 1911 and 1932, they send a, a ship uh, with an officer on to try to conduct a census of the island. And so this 1911 census is the very first time the Sentinelese are ever counted as kind of a standalone group. 
that exists out there. Uh, that, that 1911 census, he finds uh, eight men on the beach, another five or so in canoes. But as soon as he tries to get close, they run off into the forest. They can't find them anymore. And so this is the first time we see them actually recorded as a separate people group. There have been a couple other shipwrecks. There was actually a shipwreck in 1977 on these islands. There was a shipwreck in 1981 called the Primrose, where they were kind of carrying cargo, and they, they ran aground in sea just off of North Sentinel Island, and there were some attacks by the Sentinelese, but they couldn't get close enough because of storms, and so they ended up being rescued. But this is one of the first times we actually have a record, or at least claims, of friendly contact with this uh, people group. So there was a, a scrap dealer who goes to this shipwreck to try to salvage iron, basically. And so he won, he won a government contract to kind of go down to the Primrose wreck, which was about 300 feet off of the shore of North Sentinel Island, just try to recover some of these metal scraps. And apparently he records kind of friendly exchange with the Sentinelese, who also kind of come out to the shipwreck curious and are looking for metal as well. And so they record kind of exchanging fruits and nuts and kind of small metal scraps and things like this with the Sentinelese. And he claims they kind of visited two or three times a month while they were out there. So not a lot, but they were there for like 18 months. So, you know, over the span of that time period, that means he claims they had, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 40, give or take, interactions with the Sentinelese in, in canoes. Now, again, because the language barrier, these interactions were pretty minimal. But this is the, one of the first times we see kind of a friendly interaction with. Now, the most friendly interaction that we ever have was by a man by the name of Triliknath Pandit. Uh, now, I don't know. I'm probably butchering that. Uh, but Pandit was an Indian anthropologist working for the Anthropological Survey of India. And so he goes to try to explore this island and befriend the Sentinelese. And he brings a team with him. And so they actually do have quasi-positive contact. Not the first time. It takes them a couple times going there, kind of in the 70s and the 80s. And you start to see kind of a mix of interactions. Sometimes they're violent. Sometimes they get more friendly. They always bring gifts with them to give to the Sentinelese, like a peace offering of some kind. But ultimately, Pandit reports some of the, the most friendly interactions that we've seen from the Sentinelese, exchanging things like coconuts and other gifts. But again, it's not entirely friendly as they do see some, some violence back as well. There were a couple occasions where they would come out of the jungle to take the gifts and then would attack the party by, sh by shooting arrows at them. Now, in 1991, we have uh, Madhumala Chattopadhyay. Uh, again, I'm probably butchering that, but this is a, a female who records more peaceful contact uh, as they pass coconuts back and forth between them. And they actually have some photos of this. You can actually find photos online. Again, it wasn't entirely friendly, but they did accept the coconuts. And this is one of the closest that anybody's ever gotten to them. Now, there have been other types of contact over the years. As I mentioned, this missionary who was recently killed, there have been a couple of fishermen who were killed when their boat drifted too close to the island and they didn't respond to any sort of warning calls. And so the Sentinelese attacked the boats and killed them. But recently, these, these attacks and deaths, the two fishermen in 2006, uh, this missionary in 2018, have raised some questions as to how do you deal with these people groups and in particular, when they commit murder on individuals who are coming to contact them. And there have been a lot, of, a lot of different debates about this. Mostly nowadays, people agree that we basically just decide to leave them alone. 
and they won't be charged with anything. We, but we should just kind of keep a, an approach of hands off and eyes on towards the Sentinelese, basically a policy of non-intervention. And there's a lot of reasons for this, uh, a couple being, you know, cultural, wanting to protect this people group that have essentially been isolated for thousands and thousands of years. But there's also biological reasons, too. We've seen what happens when uncontacted people groups come into contact with outsiders and they they get diseases that their body has not been naturally vaccinated for or, or used to. And we've seen tribes get decimated through this type of contact. And so by trying to protect them, there's also like a, a, a viral component basically to it as well. And so this has become kind of a protected area, protected by the uh, the government of India mostly. Uh, and then you have several kind of lobbyist groups like Survival International that try to use public pressure to, to keep this group uncontacted and protected. Because again, if they don't have any sort of immunity, contact could end up killing the entire community. And the tribes, you know, has essentially made it pretty clear they don't want contact very much. There have been some friendly interactions, and so maybe little hints here and there, but more or less, you know, the violence that they push has has really made it clear that they don't want contact. And so there are some organizations like Survival International that are really pushing to try to stop any sort of contact towards these peoples. Now, these groups like Survival International will frequently point to the fact that the Sentinelese appear to be very strong, healthy, thriving. You know, they, they look very healthy when we see them on shore. Every time we've gone to check on them, even after the, the tsunami, which took place back in the early 2000s, you know, they, there was a helicopter who kind of flew over to check on their welfare, and they were strong enough that a member of the tribe became famous for being photographed uh, shooting arrows at the helicopter. And so this is a tribe that doesn't necessarily need outside help like some of the other uncon uncontacted tribes that have been uh, discovered and, and reached before. But because these people groups clearly aren't suffering, it's basically been declared that they're, they're not going to try to make any more efforts to contact the Sentinelese. And so they're pretty much under special protection by the Indian government. They're essentially considered autonomous. Uh, the government of India declared them a tribal reserve and no one is allowed to go within three miles of it. And so India actually maintains a pretty constant armed patrol to prevent intrusions by any sort of outsiders. You're not allowed to photograph them unless there's some sort of special permission. And so going forward, it's thought that we'll essentially just be leaving them alone and not uh, reaching out to them anymore, barring any sort of accidental interactions. Uh, but with that, we're going to go ahead and close out the episode, and this will lead into next week's episode where I talk more about uncontacted people groups. I'll talk more about the Sentinelese at that point and kind of where they fit into the broader spectrum of uncontacted groups and how do we treat them. And we'll talk more about that issue on kind of a, a global political stage as well. Uh, but with that, we're going to go ahead and close out the episode. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. If you want to get in contact with me, you can always reach me on Twitter at Justin R underscore Kinney. You can find me on Facebook at J Robert Kinney, which is the name I write fiction novels under. And if you're interested in contacting me for advertising or to support me or this podcast, you can reach out to my Patreon account, which is online, or just reach out to me directly. And I'd be happy to talk with you more about that possibility. Uh, but until next time and next week's episode, this is Nutshell Politics. My name is Dr. Justin Kinney, and I am out in three, two, one. <laughs>